0: The Links and Locks podcast. podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken yeah. down! Yeah. Four.
1: You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf.
0: What's up, everybody, and welcome to a very special edition of the Links and Locks Podcast. I'm Jason Sobel from Golf Bet along with my friend Justin Ray from the 21st Group. And, yes, it's the week we've all been waiting for, waiting an extra year, three years since the last edition of the Ryder Cup. It's coming up this week at Whistling Straits. I am on site. J. Ray has been doing a ton of work behind the scenes, uh, getting prepared and ready for this week's festivities. What's going on, buddy? Uh, How is your coffee intake going right now?
1: Uh, It's a steady upward tick on the chart. Uh, By the time we get to probably about – Sunday morning. Um, we'll be at the Sunday morning. It's Sunday morning of the Ryder cup Sunday morning of the masters. That's the heaviest coffee intake of the season. That's, that's like you ratchet it up to like, I don't know if you saw Dan Campbell, the lions coach, his coffee order that kind of went viral, Mm -hmm, but you're, you're nearing that, not quite to that psychopathic level, but you're nearing that kind of level of intake of, of needed caffeine to push through, but a lot of work, but obviously, this is just so much – this event is so much fun, man. It's so exciting. And we get to step outside of our, you know, stroke play box and, um, you know, pit these two rivals together. And, hey, by the way, we don't have to talk about who's on the team anymore. The roster is oh, set.
0: Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for this thing to actually get underway. I And I've said it a few times this week already. The worst thing about the Ryder Cup, and there are a whole lot of really, really good things where you get into all of them in the next little bit. But the worst thing about the Ryder Cup is – unlike pretty much every other event that we see during the entire year, you get to Wednesday evening, you're like, all right, cool. It's finally going to start. You get to Thursday morning, you're like, here it is. It's Thursday morning, 24 more hours, and we get to start this thing. Oh, God. Oh, just start already. Uh, yeah, so there's going to be so much uh, conjecture and so much uh, so much discussion over the next few days. I, I guess uh, now that we've kind of gotten into the week a little bit, uh, one thing that we can get into now is um, the potential of possible pairings. We'll start with the U.S. team. And do we look into, and I get it, this is a this is a big leap right here, but do we look into the way the U.S. team is coming out for their, first of all, practice round pairings, and secondly, interview sessions, and say, are these pods? Are these going back to the old Paul Azinger days of 2008 where – They're essentially three teams of four within the U.S. team, and they have actual pods. I I hosted a radio show last week where Justin Leonard came on. He talked about that team and said he was in a pod, I think it was with Phil, Anthony Kim, and Hunter Mahan. He said, we practiced together, we ate together, we hung out together. He said, there were a few guys. Ben Curtis was on that team. He goes, I don't think I saw Ben Curtis all week until afterwards. He's like, I just we didn't see those guys. And so it really is a way of having a team within the team. And oh, by the way, if you've got guys who maybe aren't really compatible within those teams, they might not actually see each other and hang out together a whole lot.
1: Yeah. In that vein, that seems to check off one of the things on Captain Stricker's box in terms of, I don't know, keeping dogs and cats separated when it's Bryson and Brooks or whatever it might be. Um, but on the flip side, maybe you're limiting your options there when you get to that point. Like, do you need to make, um, you know, Brooks Kepka's wrist, is that still a question? Like, is that something we need to be concerned about? Do we need to potentially have, kept, I'm thinking, putting myself in, his, in Captain Stricker's shoes, do I need to, you know, potentially have multiple options um, for Brooks Kepka given if he can play or if his wrist is bothering him? Now, all indications are that he's healthy, but just one thing to maybe keep in mind um, the pod system would kind of make sense. Um, I, I would take, I glean more from um, the, the, if we see the same practice session in day two of the, like, and then if tomorrow we see the same three groups of four, then yeah, I think you can pretty much extract that, but there's some natural pairings already within that we see that, that we've expected all along. Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth, obviously sure, been one sure. of them playing at the Ryder cup a few years ago. And then at the president's cup, uh, Patrick Cantley and Xander Schauffele were a nice pairing at the president's cup. That seems to make sense. Um, I don't know if Scotty Scheffler and Bryson DeChambeau, that's one of the, one of the pairings that's kind of interesting because it's a new mix of guys, right? So you want to see if maybe that's something that they stick with for all week, but yeah, no, you, you can, I think you can glean a little bit from that. I think you maybe not set in stone, but I think you can take, you know, a little bit of a predictive um, maybe these are some of the pairings we're going to see at the United States side.
0: Yeah, there's a couple things within there that, that I really like. Uh, as you mentioned, Spieth and JT together, it seems like an obvious choice where as long as they're playing well together, I, I can't imagine they'd split them up. Uh, same thing with Shoffley and Cantley, who were two of the best players in the world. And I think that they could have a really, really big week. Uh, there's a couple little ones and, you know, it's kind of nitpicking more than anything else. I, I like putting Deshambo not necessarily with Scheffler. I just don't know if their personalities are going to match as well. I think Deshambo and Finau seems like to be a, a team that could have a whole lot of fun in four balls, where they can just go out there, mash it around, and, and play some uh, really solid golf together. cow uh, to me is a, sort of an interesting kind of just sort of stuck in the middle there, like you know can kind of play with anybody, but we're not quite sure about his health and his form and things like that. So. I think there are a ton of question marks coming into this thing on both sides. And uh, that's, what's going to make it so intriguing. The fact that I think on a lot of years, even though this is based on world ranking, the quote unquote best, I guess U S team that we've seen. I, I hate to say it uh, in, in those terms because it's not what people are going to translate it as, but uh, as far as world ranking and average ranking, is that correct? that this is the highest ranked U S team, at least.
1: Yeah, 8.9 is their average world ranking. It's the first time that any U.S. Ryder Cup team has been single digits as an average. Yeah. So, um, And the, the Europeans only have one top 10 player in John Rahm. So, um, yeah, pretty stark contrast in terms of WGR. But as we know, that hasn't meant a whole lot at the Ryder Cup um in recent years the previous five times the americans have had an average world ranking of 15 or better they're one in four so yeah. um hasn't meant a whole lot going into the event there's obviously a lot of other factors that go into it uh, but we'll get into more of that uh here in a little bit
0: yeah absolutely and yeah you it's know, still kind of question why the u.s remains heavy favorites every single time it, it's very interesting i think i said it on the pod last week or i said it somewhere uh that you know let's say i i went to the packers game in lambo last night uh let's say the Lions beat the Packers every single time they play. The Packers are the better team on paper, but every time they play, the Lions win. Well, then you come out and the Packers are essentially a, a one-to-two favorite every time they play the Lions. And you go, well, yeah, but they lose every time. Why Why do they keep that? Well, because we think they're, they might be a better team. I, it's just a very interesting line to me. We'll get into kind of how we would like to bet this thing and how we think it might go. But, um, yeah, as far as – the, the questions around the U.S. team, I think you look at and you say, okay, well, 8.9 average world ranking. What a great team filled with superstars. There's no questions about anybody. I, I don't disagree with any of the selections. I don't, I'm don't. i not saying that anything should be different. There's still a whole lot of question marks around both of these teams right now, and I'm very intrigued by some of the players as far as health, as far as form. Uh, we've got at least two players on the U.S. team that might not be 100%. They might be 95%. But Colin Morikawa with a back injury that hampered him during the recent FedEx Cup playoffs. He says he's fine, but it's going to be a little colder out, a little tougher to get loose. Brooks Kepka had that wrist injury that forced him to withdraw from East Lake. So we're not sure about that. And then current form, I, you look at both the U.S. team with, okay, well, most of the guys are playing pretty well coming into this. The, the European team, I mean, Tommy Fleetwood has not played his best golf. Tyrrell Hatton has not played his best golf. Uh Ian Poulter hasn't quite played his best golf. Matt Fitzpatrick hasn't played his best golf lately. Uh, there are some names on that list where there are some question marks there, too. I, I, I just think that makes this week even more intriguing than it already was going to be.
1: For sure. The, the big narrative for me, it's two. You couldn't have the two rosters could not contrast any starker to me. Right. It's the United States, which is inexperienced as any literally the least experienced American side in the Ryder cup since 1979. They only have, I think it's 12 previous Ryder cup appearances as a team. And that's the fewest they've had entering the Ryder cup since 79. But statistically, the United States is dominant when you look at whether it's traditional statistics or something as simple as the world ranking, or if you look at all their strokes gain metrics, they average about half a birdie more per round since the beginning of 21 than the European team. The strokes gain numbers are all much better for the American side in terms of a whole and then you contrast that to Europe where it's the total opposite, right? The world ranking, average world ranking is like in the thirties. Um, but the experience is there, right? Lee Westwood has played for seven winning Ryder cup teams in his career. The American roster has played for three. Like it's, <laughs> it's an unbelievable contrast in terms of experience. Sergio Garcia, 25 and a half Ryder cup points, won in his career. That's the exact same total as the entire American roster entering. Wow. I mean, just to give you a couple little anecdotes about experience and formula and the way that they've <laughs> constructed the team in the past, a lot of familiar names for the European side, for the American side, rookies have played better than veterans for the Americans. The last three or four Ryder cups, their points average is better when you're a rookie coming into this event. So does the new blood translate for the Americans into a new era kind of where you see the turnover in the roster, you know, the guys who have been stalwarts of the American team over the last, 15 20 years Phil Mickelson's not playing for the first time since 1993. The last time Phil wasn't on a US Ryder Cup team, Ray Floyd was on the team. That's that's to give you an idea of how long it's been and how great a career Phil's had obviously, but I mean just how long it's been since Phil's been there. Obviously Tiger's not playing. Stricker and Furick are are you know, they've ascended into captaincy roles. So it's a whole different dynamic for the American team, right? It's not the same guys. Um, that's the interesting thing to me. Like this is there a turnover there? And does the narrative of the last 10, 15, 20 years for the Americans in the Ryder Cup, do they finally turn the page? And does this symbolize kind of a new era in in what the American team is? Or does the European experience pay off again and their formula and you know their 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 hammering and reliance on data and all the things that, that they're known for? Does it work out again? It's it's really gonna be fascinating. I'm with you. I'm I i can not wait for this thing to get started.
0: Justin, you make some excellent points in there, and I think it's Uh, Really interesting the fact that a lot of American fans, we've heard them over the years call for, hey, we need some change. We need something different to happen for the American team. It seems like after the picks were made, people were frustrated about, oh, it's just the same old guys, the same old team. I'm like, "Uh, no, there's literally half the team is rookies. There's been a huge turnover. The oldest guy on the team is Dustin Johnson, who isn't exactly old right now. I mean, there's a lot of different stuff going on with the U.S. team right now. Uh, We're going to get into some some predictions, some details, some things like that. I want to get into our five questions, though, because I think this is going to lead us in a lot of different directions and give us a few other talking points. Five minutes, five questions you never asked. I got to be honest with you. I get a little irritated when somebody calls me away from my golf. This
1: is Five Under.
0: Uh, Let's start with the first one. And all of these questions can be construed in sort of different terms, but who is the most important player to the U S team?
1: So I'm going to go with Brooks Kepka here because I wow. think there could be a domino effect. Um, I think that because just given some of the off, off, I don't, you know, I don't know how much to make of the, the dynamic between him and Deshambo and what's that, what that impact is going to have this week. But I think that if it's negative, I think that could have a definite impact on the rest of the team and the rest of the team's performance. So um the other element to that is his wrist is his health there um you know is he going to be a fact is that going to be a factor do you need to worry about his ability to finish a match i don't know if we're at that point with his wrist you know where we don't have a ton of information about it um but all signs are pretty promising that he's okay i just think that there's so many different directions that brooks can impact both positively and negatively this week i'll say he's the most important player for the americans and i think there's a number of different answers you can have for this question. I think Jordan Spieth and his driving accuracy on this golf course is going to be really important. Um, You know, are he, and assuming he and JT are together, is JT going to have to try and bail him out on, on different shots and stuff like that? I don't know. I mean, but I'll go with Kepka for that answer.
0: Okay. Uh, I like that answer. I think, like I said, there's a lot of different ways that we can go with this. I I'm going to go, even though he's not my prediction to lead the team as far as total points, I think this team goes as far as Justin Thomas will take it. I think Justin Thomas is sort of the team leader. He is the guy where, you know, if you look at an NBA team going into the playoffs, he's sort of your leading scorer. And if, you know, if he fouls out early, you're, you're going to be in trouble. But this guy's got to, got to keep you in it. He's got to keep uh, going to the basket, so to speak, to keep the analogy going. But I, I think that JT is the guy that is really going to kind of stir the drink for the U.S. squad. Um, he's a team leader. He's a fiery guy. He's a guy that can get the fans uh, even more pumped up than they already are. I I think that he also wears his emotions on his sleeve. And so if things aren't going well, you look at JT, he's got his head hung down, he's moping down the fairway, and all of a sudden the the entire tone of everything can shift very, very quickly. So I think JT is a guy that if he's playing well, if he's feeling good, if everything's going the right way, he can bring 11 other players up to his level. And if he's not, I think you can bring those players down to a level where they probably don't want to be.
1: Who's the one guy on the American team you could see getting the crowd to the biggest frenzy this week? Well, I think it's Justin Thomas. Okay. I'm, I'm going to get into that. I think he, he has a huge opportunity to, oh, just not just this week, but in the coming decade more, to be the stalwart leader of this next generation I talked about of American Ryder Cup teams.
0: All right, well, question two of our five questions. Uh, I'm going to answer exactly what you just said there. and uh, This is a little bit different than the most important player, but who is the biggest X factor? If if Justin Thomas, for me, is the guy who's the leading scorer on your team going into the NBA playoffs, who's the sixth man coming off the bench who you need to come in in the third quarter and really start rallying them? Uh, The X factor for me, because I'm not sure they have another guy. I think JT is that guy that can rally the crowd a little bit, but a lot of these guys, a lot of the rookies – Are sort of 45 year old rookies, so to speak. You look at Scotty Scheffler, you look at Colin Morikawa, and these aren't like young, brash dudes. These are uh, middle aged guys trapped in a young man's body, and they act like, which is a compliment. I don't mean that as a backlanded compliment. I mean that as usually a very good thing for golf, by the way. Yes, absolutely. But there isn't, I don't see a real Anthony Kim or Patrick Reed type of personality on this team. Except, except, I don't think people realize how fiery and how much of a competitor Daniel Berger is. And for me, the X factor for the U.S. team is Daniel Berger because if he plays well, I think he can be that guy. I think he can be maybe not to the Patrick Reed level, but I I think he's a guy that can get under the skin of the Europeans. I think he's a guy that's going to fire up the crowd, and I think he's going to be super, super into this thing. So I love Daniel Berger as the... X factor for the U S team this week. What do you think?
1: That's a great call. Lipper, Daniel Berger. Like he's got, he's, he's packing one walking Absolutely. down the fairway. A little, little bit, a little bit of swag in that walk going up the a lot of like
0: swag. It. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. I could see that. Definitely. Um, going
0: step for step with Poulter, like swagging down the fairway. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. I think that's a good call. That's the other guy on the roster. I think for the Americans, I'm with you that could really, you know, be fiery and, and, and the crowd will feed off of it. And I think there could be an effect there. My biggest X factor for the Americans is course setup and their advantage with distance. I think that if they're able to take advantage, look, there's a limit to how much the the captains can do in terms of setting up the golf course. But the first hole is a great example of a place where they are able to take advantage of something. Um, it's about 45 yards shorter the first hole on the scorecard than it played at Whistling Straits in 2015 at the PGA Championship. So you move that tee box up, the bunkers Pete Dye put in. In the land is, is for the typical landing area from about 400 yards away off the tee. that protects it protects the field in terms of uh, you know the hazards there missing left or right. There's bunkers that are penalizing. You move that tee box up like they have and they've shortened the hole. Bryson, DJ, Finau, they can just hit it over the penalty and it doesn't matter you know if they miss left or right. So that's one example of something they can do to take advantage of their you know ability to set up the golf course if they're able to use that as well as the European side did in Paris in terms of making it tight, I think that that's the biggest X factor for the Americans.
0: Yeah. yeah. There you go. That's a very good interpretation of that question. I think, uh, all right, let's get to the European side. Uh, same question. So question three, who is the most important player for the team Europe this week?
1: I think it's John Rahm. I know that's the easy answer because he's yeah. the best player on the team, but I mean, he's the best player on the planet the last nine, 12 months. Um, hands down in terms of every metric you look at scoring average strokes gained. um, He's a fiery guy. He can be a leader on their team. Um, You know, I think him combined with McElroy, you're looking at two guys who are going to play all five sessions, probably without question. Rory's done it. Every time he's played on the Ryder cup, Uh, I think 2010, there were only four sessions. It was that weird rain out thing, but 12, 14, 16, 18, he played every session. You'll see that from McElroy. I think we'll see the same thing from John Rahm. He's going to play all five sessions. Um, and his play is going to be absolutely vital for European success. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I agree with that. Uh, I'm going to go with Rory McIlroy for the exact same points that I made about Justin Thomas, which is he's sort of the guy that stirs the drink uh, is the best way I can put it. He is the guy who, when he's playing well, he's got a fire. He's got a bounce in his step. He brings everyone up to his level. And when he's not, you don't need to know the score. You don't need to know how he's playing. Just you can look at it on his face. You can look at his body language, and I think his body language is going to be. Uh, that's something that can spread to the rest of the team room. Which is, you know, if he's if he's not playing well, and uh, look, be careful about what you say when you're saying spreading things in the team room. I I, I get that um,
1: <laughs> it means something different than it did the last time we had a Ryder Cup. Yes, in the United
0: States. yes, but I I think that. Uh, you know, certainly the fact that Rory is um, a guy that has been around for a long time now that a lot of guys look up to. Granted, they have an older team and some of the other guys that um, certainly um, understand how to play in these things. I still think that it's vital for Rory. You said it's vital for John Rom to go out there and play well. I still think Rory McIlroy is the guy that is the team leader and the guy that everything sort of revolves around a little bit. So, All right. Uh, same question about the Europeans that we had for the Americans, the biggest X factor. And again, it doesn't necessarily have to be a player. It could just be a thing, but the biggest X factor.
1: I'll pick a player for this one. I'm going to go with Sergio Garcia. Um, I think that his experience in the Ryder cup, you know, goes without saying he's the leading points winner in the history of the European side, Um, but sneaky, good form. The last few months um, played really well in the FedEx cup playoffs and his ball striking numbers are among the best on the European side. I think that that kind of gets lost when you look at the roster um, Sergio is kind of a known commodity, but I think the underlying metrics for Sergio are much more promising than maybe the narrative is going into this event. And he always seems to putt better at the Ryder cup um, than he does in stroke play events. So um, I'm going to go with Sergio as an X factor here. If he has a big week, um, obviously that's going to translate to some very positive things for the European side. And just look at those underlying numbers. They're better than you think for Sergio Garcia.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, a person, and not a player, Padraig Harrington for me is, uh, and maybe it's more than an X factor, but I I think that because the imbalance exists between the U.S. team and the European team, at least on paper, and we all know this, we've talked about the ranking, but I think that Padraig Harrington needs to balance it out. He needs to basically out-captain Steve Stricker this week, which has been done many, many times in the past by European captains. Uh, Three years ago, Thomas Bjorn, and I I thought Jim Furyk was going to be a great captain for the U S team and, and maybe was a great captain. It just, you know, those guys didn't play well enough, but uh, Thomas Bjorn based on the result out, captain Jim Furyk a few years before that uh, Paul McGinley and Tom Watson was not even a fair fight. Paul McGinley, Paul, uh, Paul, McGinley, Paul McGinley and Paul Azinger are the two best captains that I have seen over the last 20 years of covering Ryder cups. I thought McGinley was absolutely fantastic in that role. Uh, just really, really uh, smart, and planned and prepared and everything he did. If Padraig Harrington can out captain Steve Stricker this week, Europe can absolutely win this Ryder cup. If, if it's neutral, if it's even, I, I think the U S still has a, a fairly large edge, but I think Padraig Harrington needs to have uh, a good week as far as, and, you know, I, and I know a lot of people listening say, Oh, come on. The captains just, you know, put the guys together let them go out there and play. They're a thing. I mean, whether it's, getting your team in the right, right motivational attitude, whether it's it's playing up the underdog role, whether it's not playing up the underdog role, whether it's figuring out the pairings, whether it's figuring out how to put them in singles on, on Sunday. I mean, there, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it, and it's more than just the tangible stuff that we see. There's a lot of sort of behind-the-scenes, backroom things that Harrington can do this week to just give his team a little bit more of an edge. And if that happens, if he if he does a little bit better of a job than Stricker, I think Europe can absolutely go win this week.
1: Yeah, it's it's not just this week too. It's it's a two-year buildup. It's, you know, when you're the captain of the Ryder Cup team, I mean, you're building an attitude and an emphasis on the event throughout the year, whether it's communicating with players, whether it's encouraging, you know, practice round pairings together throughout the year at major championships or big events where the guys are all together i mean there's a there's a there's a task at hand there for the captain and it kind of you know climactically obviously it, it leads to this week but there's a there are obligations throughout the year and um i can guarantee you that uh, the european side is very good at that in terms of gendering you know emphasis on the event and you know this matters and it's not uh you know scribbling down pairings on a napkin you know right. after right. friday foursomes <laughs> or whatever like it, there's a lot that goes into it so yeah my biggest factor in determining the outcome and this might seem simple but i think it's the americans playing up to their level um playing up to their baseline i mean you know statistically obviously we talked about how much stronger they are across the board the depth that they have i think if they if they play up to their level and time and time again the ryder cup they have not Um, I think that it's going to be a really tough road for, for Europe to get a win here this week, simply because the depth of the American team is so strong. I think it's look, it seems kind of basic. It's like, Oh, play better golf. And that's the factor of of them winning. But I sure really, really though, that's the narrative, right. For the Americans over the last two decades, like they show up here and they don't play as well as they look on paper and you know, the the Europeans walk away with the cup, you know, nine out of 12 or six out of eight or whatever the pick your trend in terms of, of who's won the Ryder cup recently. Uh, But if they play up to their, especially from a ball, they going to put the probably middle of every green. That's going to help the Americans to their baseline. That's going to be the biggest determining factor in the outcome for me.
0: Okay. You jumped me on question five, by the way, because that was question five, but you knew question five. So I didn't have to ask it. What's the biggest determining factor in this (laughs) week's result. There you go. I I thought you were going to give us a stat here. You were going to say like strokes gained around the greens uh, if the U S can go plus 0.37 as a total team, I, I mean, something like crazy like that, but I, I like the fact that you went with the intangible. I'm, I'm going to go with the crowd. It's, and, and it's a little more involved than just, Hey, well, if the crowd revs up the U S team, they can win this week. It's, it's more than that. It's we've seen different crowds since galleries have come back after COVID uh, people are, People have been caged up for a while. People are louder. People are more boisterous. Um, I, I think that based on the recent history of the U.S. team in this Ryder Cup, that this has a chance of being an absolute just celebration for three days, that the fans can be behind them and there's yelling and cheering and rooting, and, and, and it's a great, great atmosphere. I also think that if the U.S. team gets off to a bad start and if that bad start snowballs and they keep playing badly, that it could turn really, really ugly. I mean, very much like a football team playing at home, losing by three touchdowns, all of a sudden, at the end of it, in the, late in the third quarter, the team, the, the crowd isn't saying, like, come on, team, you can do it, let's go, come on, go get them. They're booing. They're yelling at their own guys. And I think that, quite honestly, we might see the first instance, if it all plays out that way, of the home team sort of the home crowd turning on the home team this week. If it is indeed.
1: It's an interesting theory. I mean, I do think I am with you that I think that just all the different factors that go into the entire environment this week, um, people being away, uh, everything you mentioned, the snowball effect can be real. I think either way, you're right in that if they get out to the same start they had in 2016, when they swept the opening session, I mean, then you could see the snowball the other way where it's really positive and it's, like you said, a celebration. So yeah, no, I think that's an interesting theory. I'm not sure if I'm not sure if they're gonna boo the Americans if, if it gets you to that see, point, but if, I mean if
0: this thing on on Saturday, late Saturday afternoon, people have been out there all day and they're trying to get their money's worth and Europe is up. Let's see, at that point it would be four, four 12 like Europe is up eight and a half to three and a half. And they're leading in three more matches and it's coming down the back nine on Saturday afternoon. You don't see the U S fans going like, come on, guys!" like, instead it yeah. go, I think the dynamic goes from, come on guys, you got this to come on guys. Like, yeah. On, what are we doing? And, and I think they turn on them a little bit. You know, I, it's one scenario. Now, granted, if we're going to play out <laughs> 10 simulations of the Ryder cup, that might only be in one of the actual simulations and the other nine this doesn't come close to happening, but I think it's a possibility. And again, it's that snowball effect. It's get off to a good start. So you keep the crowd going. So you can keep the, the players motivated. If players stay motivated, they stay revved up. They get the crowd revved. I mean, it, it, it kind of the self-fulfilling deal throughout the entire week that continues on, but um, all right, those have been the five questions. I want to get into the betting markets a little bit here because I mentioned it off the top that uh, I, anywhere from, minus 185 to even shorter than minus 200 the u.s is a favorite this week which boggles my mind the fact that uh we all know it's going to be really really close and it has been really really close and europe has got the better of the u.s team uh over the last part of the uh last quarter century and so uh the odds makers still keep installing the u.s as a favorite i any idea why i I mean I, i i'm waiting to I'm going to talk to some odds makers this week. I, I haven't yet, but uh, that's a, I, I think there's a question in there. Now, granted, these odds always reflect where the public is betting, and maybe there's just more of the public that looks at the favorite and says, well, oh, yeah, the favorite's going to win. But is there any – do you have any inkling like uh, we've seen this time and again where we install one team as the underdog, and it's the same team every time. That team takes on the underdog mentality, and they go out and win. And so uh, we keep sort of, and we, I I say we, but the odds makers continue to install the U S as favorites every single time this thing is played. Uh, Do they deserve to be the favorites? Uh, Probably based on paper, but maybe not based on the results of recent years.
1: Yeah. I think it's maybe just the human nature of looking at the top of the world rankings and seeing, all right, U S has got Colin He just won the open championship and, you know, you run down the list, you're know, like Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka. Like, you like just look at the, maybe that's the just natural inclination, and we just have a, you know, uh, a goldfish memory when it comes to uh, remembering what happened two years ago, five years ago, eight years. You know, I, I guess maybe that's part of it, you know. But you know, from a from an analytical perspective. Look, the Europeans have a point differential of plus 24 in the Ryder Cup since 2002, and it's spread out across the three formats. They're plus 12 in singles, and I think it's plus nine in in foursomes, plus three in four balls. So regardless of the format, they've been better during this era. Um, The key, you know, I'm going to, I have to kind of abstain a little bit from making an actual nail-down prediction because my company works, as anybody who listens to this know, works closely with Team Europe. But um, I will say that, the last two times the Europeans won, they absolutely dominated foursomes 13 to three. Like it wasn't a fair fight. Yep. That's yep. the format you need to look at. If, if foursomes, you know, seven of the last eight times, the team that won the most points in foursomes won the Ryder cup. The only exception being 2012 at Medina, when there was the huge comeback in singles for team Europe. Um, that's kind of, that's where I, I, I would look. If you're looking to see the outcome is if, the Americans can just split in foursomes. I think they have a, un, they have a really big advantage. The, the European side needs to take advantage of the the foursomes play where they've been so good. The last six times the Europeans won the Ryder cup, they have a plus 15 point differential in foursomes. So that's just statistically so important for the European side. Um, you know, that's the, that's the format I look at this week moving forward.
0: You know, it's funny because based on that, um, that's probably how I I'm betting this week, and that's how I've suggested that other people might want to approach it, which is let's wait until we see the force. I, I I like the U.S. to win this week. I unlike you, I'm not Herb Street this week. I'm not doing the game, <laughs> and so I can indeed make a prediction. I I'm predicting the U.S. will win this week, but there's no way I'm chasing a minus 195 number going into it. I, I'm just not betting on them. I'm not that confident in the U.S. And so what I'd like to do is wait until after we see Friday morning's foursomes, then Friday afternoon's four balls, then Saturday morning's foursomes, and maybe Europe takes a little bit of a lead at that point. And so maybe Europe's up seven to five, seven and a half to four and a half after that foursome session, and maybe you can hop on the U.S. At something closer to even money going into Saturday afternoon four balls. And, and if so, I like jumping on the U.S. team at that point because I do think that the U.S. team is going to be stronger in – sunday's singles and i do think that if it's a close score going into that i i think even if europe's up by a couple points that the u.s can certainly come from behind and win enough matches to bring it home on sunday but i'm i'm looking for some live value Uh, i just can't jump on that betting number beforehand and look if you're i I don't know what kind of pool this would be but if you're in some pool where it's like just pick the winner okay you can go out and pick the u.s before it starts if you actually want to make some money on this thing and that's my suggestion. It could go horribly wrong. Look, if if the U.S. plays really well in both foursome sessions, instead of minus one ninety, it's going to be minus three fifty going into Saturday afternoon four <laughs> balls, and people out there are going to be like, "So I, I was going to bet it, and you told me not to. You told me to wait, and now I can't bet it because the number is so short that there's no point in it." I sorry if that happens, but um, I really do think that it's going to be closer, um, and, and I think the uh, the line's going to be a lot closer when we get to sort of the midway point on Saturday.
1: Uh, you mentioned that I'm Herb Street this week calling the game and I can't make a pick. I'm going to give you a not so fast, my friend, old school Lee Corso. Love it. You mentioned how you like if, if the Americans perform better in singles last four Ryder Cups, Europeans and singles, 27 points, Americans, 21. So mm-hmm. I think there's a perception out there that you get these guys one-on-one head to head and the Americans like reclaim that statistical advantage. But It hasn't been the case in recent years. I do think that it's a little bit different on home soil than it is um, in Europe. And in 2016, the Americans won, I think, seven and a half points in singles to four and a half for Europe. So there was a a pretty distinct uh, difference there. But, yeah, I I would say that perception, I think, kind of exists because they look at one versus one, head to head, world ranking, you know, and, and see a matchup. And they like the Americans a little bit more. Last four Ryder Cups, to Europeans have a six-point advantage in singles
0: play. Yeah, this is a very dangerous game because if I'm trying to counter one of your stats with one of my own, at some <laughs> point you're going to throw out the trump card and I, I'm not winning this game. But I, I will try to counter one of your stats with one of mine. In eight of the last nine Ryder Cups, the team that has won the Sunday's singles session has won the entire event. And so I think that a lot of what we talk about the weeks and months ahead of each competition, which is, who, you know, this year, who's Bryson going to play with? And, you know, what do we think about foursomes and what's going to happen there? 12 it's points up for grabs
1: relevant. on Sunday.
0: <laughs> it's all very relevant. It all matters. Guess what? It's all going to come down to Sunday. I don't really see a scenario in which, you know, one team, this is not the 2017 President's Cup where going into Sunday, it's like, hey, if one of our guys wins, uh, we pretty much got this thing locked up. I, you know, this is going to be um, up for grabs going into Sunday. And so, yeah, I, I wasn't trying to suggest the U.S. team absolutely will win in singles. I, I said they can win in singles, and I think there's some value in, hey, if, if Europe takes a lead at some point after that second foursome session, I would jump on them in the betting markets. But uh, it doesn't mean that the U.S. is absolutely going to win in singles. It just means there's more value on them when that number goes down a little.
1: Yeah, I mean, mathematically, like I rudely shouted during your um, your screed there, there's 12 <laughs> points up for grabs in, on singles. Like there's a reason why, you know, just, just 20,000 feet looking at it from the numbers perspective. Yeah, I mean, it's ultimately, it's still going to be in the air. It's singles. Just ask the Europeans in 99 and the Americans in 2012.
0: Uh, so I, I heard a story and I, I don't, this is not my story to tell and I cannot give up the story, but at some point in the last few Ryder Cups, um, there was a player on one of the teams who said, I want so-and-so. And And we all know that unlike the President's Cup where the captains go back and forth, there's no way of really getting that. The captains basically put out their picks and the other captains put out their picks. Well, apparently as the story goes, one of the captains texted the other captain and said, hey, my guy wants your guy. The captain went back and said, all right, put him in the three spot or the five spot, or the seven spot, whatever it might have been, and they made sure that those players got each other. So, look, I'm not suggesting that there's anything underhanded about how these singles matches will be done, but maybe we can get a couple matches that we would like to see. Off top of your head, any singles matches that you're like, man, I, I would pay a, a lot of money to go watch these two guys play golf against each other.
1: Oh, man, that's a good one. Um, how about Rory and Colin Morikawa?
0: I mean, I think that'd
1: be great. I'm really excited to see how Victor Hovland plays all week. Um, Let's say Victor Hovland, Justin Thomas, that would be, that'd be sick. That'd be a great matchup. Um, Man, how about, how about Sergio Garcia and Jordan Spieth? The, the actual Texan and the honorary Texan going head to head. I mean, that might be fun. There's, look, you can take your pick, man. There's, there's so many good ones on the board potentially. So,
0: all right. Um, So, yeah.
1: I'll put Rory Markow as number
0: one on my on my wish list. I want. I mean, I don't really think these things. These things are like faux contentious. Sometimes you know, Rory Reed, uh, you know, at Hazeltine, that was that was fun. Was uh, you fun. know, they were kind of going yeah. back and forth, They're shushing each other, but like they're smiling, laughing, having a good time. I feel like Kepka Poulter, like they're they're gonna be something there. I, I feel like they would not, they would not have a lot of you know casual conversations walking down the fairway. I'll put it that way. That could be really fun. The guy I want Rory with is JT. I I think JT and Rory. I mean, I, I explained earlier that I think those are kind of the two team leaders. I mean, if, if, if we called the captains coaches and then sort of like a a soccer team, we gave someone the armband and someone had to be the captain. I think, you know, maybe it's maybe Westwood on, on the uh, European side, but I feel like Rory and JT are sort of the captains so to speak, uh, of the players. And um, I'd like to see those two guys against each other. All right, Uh, this has been fun. Um, This is going to be an amazing week. I can't wait. Uh, We finally get to catch our breath a little bit next week. There's another event going on. But, man, I I am so glad we're here. I'm so glad we're finally getting this thing underway.
1: Absolutely. No more consternation about rosters. Talking about – roll them out, man. Set up the pairings, the the matchups. Roll them out. Let's see who wins this thing. It's going to be great. Can't wait to watch it.
0: Can't wait. Thanks so much to everybody for listening to this edition of the Links and Locks podcast. Remember, you can download, subscribe, rate us everywhere you find your favorite podcast. Good luck with all your bets for this week's Ryder Cup. Man, we're finally here. It's Ryder Cup week. So exciting. just hoping you guys hit the green.